Yes, indeed, we are moving on up on this week's There Are Giants podcast. Uh, I'm your host, as always, Roger Munter. And this week we have uh, a really fun and, and I think timely show <laughs> talking about some guys who are moving on up. Uh, I have conversations this week with uh, Giants left-handed pitcher Carson Wisenhunt, who has zoomed his way from San Jose all the way up to Richmond. I caught up with him the day after his uh, extremely successful double-A debut with Richmond last week. And then I have a conversation with Richmond hitting coach Corey Elasic. Um, he's in a really great position to comment on some of the guys who have moved on up to San Francisco this year uh, because he was the hitting coach in Eugene last year with uh, Patrick Bailey and Louis Matos when they were going through some difficult times and with Richmond early this year when they were going through extremely successful times. Uh, so we talk a little bit about both of those players and a few other players he's coached as well. Uh, that's, I think, a great conversation. Before I get to it, of course, I will mention that there are giants, both the podcast and the website, are completely subscriber-supported. Uh, so if you enjoy learning about the giants of tomorrow, why don't you try us out? Give us a subscription at thereargiants.com to get um, daily reports on everything that's going on on the farm. And with that said, uh, let's hear first from Carson Wisenhunt. We talk you know, promotions, and we talk that change-up, of course. All right. Uh, well, Carson, you last night you had a pretty great debut <laughs> double-A. Uh, does it feel like this year is just happening fast, like it's a blur from, from, from team to team? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it's kind of moving a little quicker than what I thought. I was talking with my family last night about how I've now had 11 starts this year, and it doesn't feel like it even close. So, um, But, no, it's going good, though, like enjoying it, trying to make the most of each start. But. Getting to know each team member is uh, a little tough moving around this much. Yeah, I hope we made good friendships in uh, in Papago at the end. We did. Um, nah, it's, uh, it's good meeting everybody, but it's tough trying to remember names that you're going through. So, Did you have an idea? When you started, I, I talked to Meckler when he got up here. He's like, yeah, I had a plan to get here by June. I'm like, well, did you, did you have a plan of like when you wanted to get to this level? I had a plan, but I also was not expecting it to be this quick. Um, but I'm glad it is. Um, just trying to enjoy it while I can and continue to get better each time. I mean, it's got to be, last year was such a weird, disjointed year for you. Like, you have a game here, and then it's like, you come to camp and wait a while, you go to AFL and wait a while. It must be good just to feel in the rhythm of, of pitching every week, right? Absolutely. It's good to have a routine to kind of follow. Um, it's a little easier whenever you know you, you kind of just move up a day each week on your start, <laughs> so you can kind of follow the same plan. Um, but it's going good. Uh, okay, I, I want to talk to you about your changeup because everyone <laughs> loves the changeup. How did you? I mean, I think when when kids start pitching, it's fun to throw hard, right? Everyone wants to throw hard. How and when in your in your career did you start developing this changeup and say, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> this feels pretty good? So, I've obviously gone through a bunch of different grips over the years, but I didn't throw a curveball or slider until I got into high school. So the changeup was always my go-to pitch. Um, it was my out pitch. So I would say probably from the time I was 9, 10 years old, I started working with that pitch. So ever since then, it's just been a development of, hey, where can I get more depth or take a little more velo off of it. So That seems really early to be to, to notice that you could do that. Like how, how hard were you throwing a fastball at the time when you first could start, like, differentiating those two pitches? Oh, Lord. It's <laughs> a lot of thinking there. Oh. <laughs> Obviously not throwing like super hard, yeah. but just having the feel of kind of different grips and kind of able to take, at that time it was probably like 
four or five miles yeah. an hour off. Um, but as I progressed through and got a little bit older, I started getting more feel for it. So I was like, okay, maybe if I turn my hand this way or move the ball a little bit here, take a little bit more velo or get a little more depth to it. So you mentioned your grip. Uh, the, on my site this morning, I used a picture from, from the team. Well, they, there's some pretty good grips there, and one of them is pretty clear that you're using what, what used to be called a circle change, right, with the, the thumb and the, the finger on a circle on the side of the ball. Um, when did you kind of find that grip, and what's it, what's it do for you? So I think um, I've always really thrown the circle change, but it, obviously whenever you're younger, your hands aren't big enough to do the full <laughs> circle. Um, but now it's getting to the point where, like, I would say I was probably 14, 13, 14 when I really got comfortable with the circle change and I've kept it the same. Um, but everybody uses certain fingers for, like, pressure points and stuff on the ball. And, like, mine's different, so I only use two fingers for the change-up instead of having three for the circle change like normal. Um, but I would say I was probably 13, 14, whenever I finally got comfortable with the grip I have now. Is it which two? Is it the middle two that you're using? So it's the ring finger and the pinky. It's the two end ones that yeah. you're using all the pressure So with. They're, they're more of feel fingers. The uh -huh. index finger and the middle finger are power fingers. That's what you throw fastball, curveball, slider, yeah. anything like that. You want to throw pretty firm. Um, so I took all the firm power off of the ball, and now it's just a full feel pitch, and I can throw it as hard as I want. Obviously, I mean, it is a field pitch, so a lot of it is confidence, and obviously you got that confidence early. So that's, like, that's got to be a huge thing for you. This isn't something you, you try to feel confident about. This is bread and the bone, right? Absolutely. It's my go-to pitch. Um, I've, been, I've gotten a, a good placement on it where I feel like I can put it in the zone at any time and put it as a put-away pitch at any time. The other thing I could see from the pictures, it, was like, it looks like you finish with your – is this pronated? Which yeah. is, with your your palm facing out, almost like a screwball yeah. delivery. Is that? Are you doing that intentionally? Is that natural? Is it just a function of the grip? Um, your I think action? now it's natural. But when I was younger, I would try to make myself do that so I could get obviously, like I said earlier, more depth to the ball uh -huh. or get a little more kind of sink whatever I wanted at the time. Um, but now it's like I don't really think about it. I just kind of throw it and it happens. Yeah, I mean, when I saw just you pitching, I would look at it and I'd say. There is a little scroogey action there. and I mean, it's kind of like Devin Williams. Yeah. Do you give it a good, cool name like Airbender? Because I think you uh, might need to do that. I mean, at some point I will, most likely. But right now, I haven't really got a good name for it. Um. When you're, when, so when you're on the mound, when you're thinking about what you're trying to accomplish, is it, is it get ahead with the fastball? Like the fastball is your get-ahead pitch and, the, and then the kill pitch? Or are you balancing those... Uh, as evenly as you can? Um, I would say it kind of depends on the lineup we're facing. Like, I try to get ahead most of the time with fastballs that first time through the lineup, and then from then on I can kind of progress and see what guys are trying to do hitting-wise, and then I can switch it up and go change up early or try and steal a strike with a curveball and then kind of play the fastball at the back end of the count whenever they're sitting off speed again like they were the first time through. So then the fastball becomes a pretty important pitch for you. How is that – it must be actually hard to have a pitch as good as your change, you know, when you're an A ball because the competitor in you is like, I can get this guy, right? But yeah. the development brain says, I need to, like, work on these other pitches. Absolutely. Is that a problem on the mound when you're at low levels? Um, a little bit here and there. Like, if I really wanted to hammer, like, getting a feel for the curveball and getting there with it, um, trying to land it for a strike because I know I can get ahead with the changeup <laughs> or finish a guy off, like, just put it away. Um, but I would say... It, it is kind of tough whenever you have a pretty good yeah. secondary pitch, but 
just one of those things you got to battle through and try and figure out what you can and can't do with it. So how has the uh, your work with the fastball been? Your your velo from I was talking to Joe Ritzel the other day and he said you know the last start at San Jose you were like sitting 95 96 yesterday it was more like 91 92 93. Yeah. Where has that pitch kind of been as you've gone through uh, the spring? I would say the the fastball is kind of. I felt a little sluggish yesterday. Um, didn't feel completely there. Like, didn't have my best stuff. Um, but the velo has been good. Like, I feel comfortable with where I'm at. Um, I know it'll come back. But just trying to get back to where I was at early on in San Jose and the, while I was in Eugene as well. Well, so let me take a step back there. Obviously, you just got here the other day. Uh, it's actually the travel from Eugene to Richmond is not easy, right? What was the what was the transition just like your body clock, your sleep schedule? How would that go for you? Um, it wasn't too bad. Uh, it was a little tough in, like the first night because uh, that three hour difference, but like, after flying all day, coming and watching the end of the game, and then trying to get back to the apartment and get everything set up, it was like, alright, I just want to go to sleep at this <laughs> point, but um, then you got to be prepared for the next day as well, trying to get up and get your work in, but it wasn't too bad. Um, and, and then I'll, let's have, I'll ask you about your third pitch too. The curve, I didn't, we didn't see as much of that last night, which again might be just kind of sluggish. So you're going with what yeah. works. Uh, how has that pitch been for you generally this year in terms of you know getting it to where you want to get it? Developmental wise, I think it's going pretty well. I um, I threw it a few times last night and it had the shape I wanted, but it wasn't like a go-to pitch for me, and it still isn't. I'm just trying to get my confidence up to where. I am with the changeup, and if I can get to that point where I can throw the curveball and feel comfortable with it at all times, then I'll feel pretty good where I'm at, and then get the fastball below back up. Like I said, is that are you playing with grips or or, or pitch shapes with that, or do you kind of know where it is and it's just consistency? Right now, it's kind of consistency. I've got a grip that I feel comfortable with. Um, I would say probably about three weeks ago ish, I was fiddling with grips and found mm-hmm. the one I'm using now. Um, so it's just trying to get comfortable with that and stay comfortable and be able to land it for a strike and a put away. You got uh, you were actually the first Richmond starter to go five innings last night. I know that's the second straight time you've gotten to five. Uh, how is the how's your body feeling as you, you you ramped up? Obviously the Giants have been really conservative with their pitches this year about getting pitch counts up and, and innings counts. How have you felt as you've been going through this ramp up? I, I feel really good. I think the first time I went five innings I felt pretty bad the next day I was pretty sore um, but obviously that's just part of it like you got to get your body acclimated to everything and get comfortable with it just like anything you will throughout the season um, but I feel pretty pretty good with where I'm at right now one of the uh, one of the things uh, in, in talking with people one of the reasons why they've been keeping pitch counts down is that it helps teach people to be pitch efficient right you know like if you're not in the zone you're not going to last long Absolutely. in the game um, is that kind of the way you like to think about your pitching too that attacking the zone has to be kind of your first first order duty the the biggest thing for me is being in zone early because it allows me to set up the change up or curveball at the back end of the count so i can if i'm ahead early it's making i have i can throw my best pitch and they're having to hit my best pitch instead of me being behind and then giving them the pitch they want so what's been pretty amazing about the run you've been on lately i think so you gave up two hits last night which is like Almost the most you've given up in about a month and a half. You had one like one game where you had a few hits, but yep. it's been like one hit, no hit, for six, seven starts, which is pretty incredible. I mean, do you like step back and go, man, I'm I'm doing something here? Uh, a little bit. I try not to focus on it too much <laughs> because obviously, 
I'm one of those guys, if I think too much about what I've been doing, then I'm going to fall down that rabbit hole and start chasing it more and more. So for me, it's just go out there with the same mentality I had the last start and just attack. So it is, I mean, we're a little more than a third of the way through, and you are up to five innings. You, you Like I say, last year, the innings were really scattered and were much, and then there was COVID. Do you have an idea of, like, what you're trying to get to this year in terms of innings load? Not really. I'm just kind of going off of what the Giants want us to do right now. Um, obviously, I would like to be able to go further into the game, but as of right now, I'm happy with being able to go five innings and get comfortable with being there. And then whenever we're allowed to go past that five-inning mark, I'll be ready to go. But a lot of it, too, is this is your it's your first pro year. It's first full pro year. Yeah. You've got to be listening to your body because there's a long way to go, and you, you want to get to the finish line. How are How is the recovery process been, been for you through the year? Um, early on, it was a little little tough trying to figure everything out and get comfortable again. But I think now with where I'm at, the recovery's a lot better. Um, I've got a good routine for day after I start to kind of pick my body back up and kind of get rid of all the soreness and things like that. You know, Kyle Haynes told me you were super skinny. I, you, you look like you look like you're you're feeling pretty well. Are you? Uh, how's the muscle, the, the the conditioning and strength work going for you now that you're in pro ball? It's a lot different than college, um, so it's going good. I like where we're at. Uh, me and our strength coaches have had a pretty good connection talking over what works, what doesn't, and then same thing on the conditioning side. Um, certain things work, certain things don't, so it's talking with them, just having that open co- communication and a good connection with them and being able to talk and them understand where I'm at and me understand where they're at. Well, I'm sure it was a pretty happy night last night, a pretty happy group. Uh, you know, get a good team win, a good start for you. It's, uh, it's, it's a fresh new start for everybody here, right? I hope so. Try to <laughs> turn it around a little bit. Well, I hope you – I know you've been moving fast, and you, there may be more moves in your future. I hope you stick around here for a while so I can watch you pitch a little okay. bit. Um, but it's going to be really fun uh, spending whatever part of the summer we get with you. And, uh, you know, good luck. I hope uh, all the best keeps happening. Absolutely. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Carson. Thank you. That was uh, left-handed pitcher Carson Wisenhunt, who has leaped through three levels uh, in two, two months, uh, mostly thanks to just one incredible changeup that's uh, likely to keep him in the majors for a good long while. Uh, and next we turn to uh, Richmond hitting coach Corey Elasic. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation because one thing that just fascinates me is how hitting coaches look at swings and what they are doing when they're watching batting practice. Uh, and Corey talked to me a little bit about exactly exactly that, how he trains his eye, how he learns guys swing so he can recognize when something's out of place. Uh, it's really just a fascinating skill set uh, that guys know how to watch swings have. And I was very grateful to uh, get to pick his brain about that and, and, and try to do some amateur learning on my own of how to, how to watch swings. So we also talk about a whole mess of players, uh, including... Matos and Bailey and Tyler Fitzgerald and uh, it, it's really been a fun bunch of talent that's come through Corey's hands in the last two years. So here is that conversation. So Corey, I appreciate you taking some time to to chat a little baseball with me. Uh, this is your third year in the organization as a hitting instructor, is that right? That is correct. Yes. What's the transition from player to coach like? Because you know, obviously. You know, the expertise is the same, but the, the skill sets are actually really different between playing the game and, and coaching it. How did yep. you navigate that transition in your life? Well, I mean, it's, I was kind of in a unique situation um, coming up. Um, I didn't get a chance to play professionally 
after college, but I'd always considered myself a student of the game and was very close with my coaches. And, and relatively quickly after graduating college, I knew that coaching was what I wanted to get into. Um, so I was able to, you know, get some opportunities to get out and coach and learn. And I think coming from playing in college and getting directly into coaching and, and coaching kids that are just a tad bit younger than I was at the high school level and maybe some guys getting ready to go to college, it was uh, <clears throat> it was unique in a sense of I knew how the good coaches were with me, and it was something that influenced me to be that type of coach to the players. So um, I definitely think it helps to have a background and, and know what these kids go through on a day-to-day -day basis when it comes to coaching. Um, but to me, like, <clears throat> there, I, I know coaches that never played before, and they're great coaches. And, and I've, I've have friends who played at extremely high levels who can't coach a lick. So um, it just it just comes with being surrounded by good people and taking, you know, different nuggets here and there from coaches that you work with or work under, and uh, applying it to kind of how you go about your own coaching style personally. What do the like? The, the critical skill sets. I mean, for yourself, what do you think? I've got to have be well at this to do a good job coaching. I can be good at something, but I've got to be good at this. I think it goes outside of like the X's and O's. Um, I would personally say, like, number one, you have to bring energy every single day. Um, you have to, you know, a lot of these guys will go two weeks with, you know, one day off outside of a travel day or they're going through a rough spurt and, um, being at the ballparks, the last thing they want to do. So I think that um, bringing a tremendous amount of energy is is key. That's huge for me. Um, and then attention to detail and accountability, like those two things, um, really stick out to me. And, and the best coaches have it. Um, being able to give these guys every resource or tool they need to be successful, um, whether or not they use them all, they have to be there, and you have to be able to present them with it when they need it. And then you got to be able to tell them the truth. And I think that being accountable and holding them accountable has gone uh, to the wayside in some instances uh, in baseball in general. Um, but I think for me, that's that's a huge thing. Those are the three things that are critical for a really good coach outside of the knowledge of the game and um, mechanics or anything like that. Like if, if you bring high energy and you hold these guys accountable, um, and you prepare them with extreme attention to detail, I think that that goes a long way in earning their trust and uh, getting them to buy into what you're, what you're trying to do. So you mentioned attention to detail and mechanics. Uh, I want to ask you about something that is just always fascinating to me, mm -hmm. and that is how you watch guys hit. When, yep. when batting practice is going on, obviously the guys go in the cage, they do their thing, they come out and you talk to them and have really you know, detailed, tangible things that they're doing with their body. Mm -hmm. What is your process for watching a guy swing? Well, the first thing I try to look at is, let's say it's a guy I've had for a while, is he doing something different? Is, is something standing out that doesn't look uh, like he normally does or normally prepares? And that, that is able to set up questions uh, to find out how he's feeling, what he's working on, what he's trying to change. Um, I, I like to look for how easy and repeatable are their swings. Um, are they staying balanced? Um, and are they in a good, strong position to hit? And that's essentially like 
<clears throat> for me, that's exactly what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to see the baseball. We're trying to be in a strong position to hit, and we're trying to hit it hard and stay balanced. So when I'm watching guys, whether, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's a guy we just got or a guy I've had for three years, um, are they working correctly? Are they, do they have a good, uh, strong foundation and base? Are they able to get a repeatable swing off? Um, and... Uh, are they able to see the baseball? And that's that's the biggest things for me. And outside of are they doing something different? So, um, you know, you can you can fine tune everything. I mean, no two swings are the same. If you looked under the microscope, you could always find something. But I like to try to uh, to get as familiar with myself with each guy's swing and how they go to work. And if something stands out that's different, it opens up conversations where or they may be working on something, or they may not even know that they're doing that and it's and you're able to go and fix it so there's a lot of different things that a lot of hitting coaches like to look for but for me it's just are they doing anything outside um of how they normally prepare what what gives them the best chance to be successful do you have like a progression like you like look at feet look at hands or like go move around their body everything starts for me from the ground up so um you know that's the first thing when i was when I was coaching in college and I was scouting and recruiting, I, I always looked for guys who had uh, really good, strong foundations in the ground. And um, everything works in a chain, right? And if one of those links is off, it's going to cause something else to be off. So um, starting from the ground up for me is huge. And it may be an upper half uh, mechanical fix, but the reason that that upper half isn't working correctly is because something's not going well, whether it be in, in the legs or the hips. So um, i I firmly believe in starting from the ground up. It, it's pretty incredible uh, to an outsider because essentially you have in your mind uh, a template of what a guy's, each of these guys' swings look like, and mm-hmm. you have to get it quick early on in the season yeah. so that something can stand out. How long does it take you with any given player to kind of like get that picture in your head of like, I know what the A swing looks like? It differs. I mean, it can take a long time for some guys, and it could take – you know, a day or, or 20 minutes for another guy. Everybody's body moves differently, works different. And the biggest thing is hitters, they all think different, whether or not they think mm-hmm. what they what they are doing is what they're actually doing. So um, it does take some time, and, and it takes a lot of film work. It takes um, a lot of challenging reps and, and trying new things in the cage to finally get to that point where you can, uh, you can say, okay, this is his A swing. And I think the biggest thing is with the technology in baseball today, like we're able to measure things, right? And and you can sit and hit off a tee and say, yeah, that's his A swing. But until you're able to measure it in a game-like setting, um, I think that's the biggest indicator of of where these guys, their best swings are, is, is all the tools that we use to measure uh, in-game, in practice, and being able to compare the two and, and finding that A swing. So it's it's a tedious process, and for some it takes – um, it takes a while, and, and for some, you know, the guys who are unicorns, it, it, it's not very hard to, to get that swing back dialed in or to find that A swing. So you mentioned technology. I, I feel like that for a long time there was, uh, there's been an image that the ability to measure data for pitchers has been way ahead of yeah. hitters. You have the electronic cameras, you have the super slow-mo, the, you know, biometric stuff. How has technology been imprinting on on your side of the things what are you able to do with guys in 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 the cage in the game setting of hawkeye um to kind of help 
see what they're doing and and improve their game. Well, I think that's the biggest thing, right? Is and it's it's not at least in as far as I know, like even the pitching side, like they're still tr- they're still finding improvements and still finding new ways to measure. And it feels like every two or three months, you've got a new uh, marker or a new technology that comes out to help these guys. So um, for the offensive side, like. <clears throat> there's certain things you can't measure, right? And there's there's coaches that can identify that, and there's certain things that you can measure. And um, I think that we do a really good job as the Giants player development, um, especially the hitting side of of using the technology. But you know, in the cages, it can if you know it can range anywhere from having Rapsido to um, you know video with the iPad that'll that'll create some body markers. You can use Blast Motion. Uh, we use TrackMan in the cage. We use TrackMan on the field, and then obviously you have the Hawkeye in-game stuff that gives you a really in-depth look at just how a guy's moving, whether it's his body or his head's moving pre-pitch or you know where he's at timing-wise. So I think that uh, it kind of it kind of hit the ground running and, and skyrocketed with the pitching side. And um, in my opinion, the hitting sides, there's a lot more variables to it in the hitting side, so it took a while for that technology to kind of catch on and and grow. Um, but, I mean, there's there's just so much out there that, you know, every year it seems like you come back and there's more stuff that we need to, uh, to get up to speed on, and it's all to help these guys, right? So um, I think that it's a great resource and it's constantly evolving and growing. So, I mean, but there's plenty of, there's plenty of stuff out there to give these guys uh, to get the best out of them. And some guys, you know, you, you kind of have to cut the language a little bit and kind of uh, speak to it in their terms where they'll understand it or they may get lost. And there's some guys that need it really, really in depth. So I think that, you know, for us as the giants, we do a great job of kind of individualizing um, all the technology we're using to get the best out of the players. Do you or, or do the do the guys uh, on the team here uh, like the, the various technologies that are coming out to increase bat speed, the kind of weighted bat? And the, is that something that the guys are in? I know Meckler brought the big, big bat with him from Eugene, but is that something that most of these guys are like using? Yeah, and I think some of it's different. A, a lot of the guys like to use it. Some of the guys like to use it just to feel good on days where um, they've played a lot and... and you know, they've had limited time off. Um, but I think that, like, it's always been there, right? Like, you know, guys used to swing two two bats on deck before they go hit. You got the donut and stuff. Now we're just able with, you know, where we're at technology-wise, you could actually, you know, hit batting practice or in the cages with those bats, and you're able to measure. So um, I know a lot of the guys, there's certain guys that, you know, not that they don't like them, they just are – comfortable in the way they train but there are a good portion of our players that will go out there and grab some whether it be heavy bat or light bat or a short bat to work on some stuff before they grab their bat and all it is is you're trying to um you're trying to challenge path and trying to challenge the body to create some movements that you um want to get to to be successful in the game and those those tools help that out so but player wise like there's guys who swear by them and use them every day and there's guys that use them sparingly and and like the feel of their game bat in their hand. So this is your first year in Richmond. You've been in Eugene the past two years, which which uh, means you've seen a lot of these guys sort of grow and and come up. Um, 
I want to talk about a few guys, uh, some who are here now, some who have moved on. Uh, but obviously, Pat Bailey is having a tremendous year. Yep. After two years in Eugene that were, you know, not not a parade. Yep. You know, some good things, some bad things. What was going on in Eugene? And I can ask the same question about Louis Matos. He's next. Um, what what was happening last year in Eugene that was maybe a difficult development year for him? And then what did you see from them this year uh, that's allowed them to kind of like take off uh, the way both of those guys have? Well, I think the biggest thing for Pat, right, is um, he really put in the work this offseason and he came back to spring training extremely physical um his body changed um and he had fine-tuned some stuff this offseason that fit what he was trying to do offensively and he never wavered from that and um to his credit i give him a lot of a lot of props with with how prepared he came in this year um after the last two seasons uh in eugene um he is a guy who um not in a bad way but you know we, we always kind of tried to find something to work on. And I, whether it was my idea or his idea, he came back and just tried to keep it extremely simple. And he had his foundation, and, and I'll try to keep that between me and him and what, he's, and what he's working on. But he had his foundation of what he wanted to do from a swing standpoint in the box and how he would challenge himself. And he never wavered from it this year from the time I had him in spring training. Um, on the major league side all the way till uh, he got here to Richmond. So it's a really a testament to how hard he worked and, and what he found that works for him and how he goes about his business. Um, for Matos, same thing. Like I think for Matos and 21 being the – I, I don't know if I'm – he was the low-A player of the year, correct, in the Cal he League? He was the MVP of the Cal Yeah, League. the Cal yeah. League, right? Yeah. Like <clears throat> he had never – he had never struggled – like that before and I think the biggest thing for 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 Matos was um just getting stronger and staying healthy he had battled some lingering injuries last year he never had an opportunity to get it going um this year he came into camp more physical uh very repeatable simple move um and he challenged himself um he was a, a different guy this year when it came to how he prepared for the level of competition that he was going to face and again like I could sit here and take credit for it, but he came in with a plan and he knew exactly what he wanted to do and he stuck with it. And um, the results showed up and he he put in the work and he's getting everything that he deserves. Both him and Pat are getting everything that they deserve right now because they've put in the work. But um, I think the biggest thing for both of them was kind of getting a little bit of that experience of failure Mm-hmm. and learning from it and just changing the way they go about their business. And it's it's been really, really fun to see. Um, hasn't been fun to see since those guys <laughs> left. Um, but I, I'm extremely happy for both of them. And and to see where they were and where they're at is, is honest to God, it's just a testament to how hard they work. Well, I talked to Matos at some point last year. I was out in Eugene, and I, I sat down and talked to him. The one thing that really impressed with me, even though – the year wasn't going the way he wanted. He wasn't particularly down on himself. He was yep. still a confident player. He said, "No, I'm. You know, there's something to learn every day." Yep. Uh, and he just knew that things were going to turn around from something. That's one of those kind of unteachable skills, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, 
it, it goes a long way when you can walk on the field and you know you're the best player on the field, even when you don't have your, your A game or you're not your healthiest or you're not feeling well <clears throat> or things aren't going your way. And I think for him, um, I saw a little bit early last year, and I saw a little bit with Pat too, um, and a lot of the guys, Casey Schmidt and, and some of the other guys, Hunter Bishop, like, you know, the weather played a factor, yeah. the, the inability to get – you know, a lot of work in at home because you're sharing a stadium with the Ducks. Um, it can affect you. And I think it, it, you know, we can sit back here and we can look at it and, and talk about how bad it is. Or we could sit here and talk about how it actually made some of these guys um, into better players and how to handle adversity and, and try to find challenging ways to get better when, you know, things aren't going their way. So, um, but with Matos, I think that, uh, you know, he handled last year extremely well, um, and he got better, you know, regardless of what was on the stat line or what was on, on the pay, in, in the box score. Like, he got better as the year went on, and, and he was a really vital part of us, of the run we made down the stretch, um, especially in the Vancouver series um, and then playing them in the championship series. He had some really good at-bats. Um, he he after Lucy hit the you know before Lucy hit the home run to kind of seal the deal in game two like he had a 13 pitch at bat and hit a hard line drive single up the box to score two to put us within one before Lucy hit the home run on the next pitch to take the lead like um he never wavered he he just he just didn't have the success that you would think that he would have after coming off that year but I, I think that it challenged him to kind of think a little bit differently about um where he was career-wise, and it, I think it kind of turned him into a more complete player and had to, to deal with that adversity. Uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but there are a few more, a couple more players I do want to ask you about. Yeah, go ahead. Um, one guy uh, who had a huge hit uh, in winning that championship, mm-hmm. um, but didn't have enough of a season to come here early on, and now here is Jimmy Glowinky. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I think if you looked at the numbers last year, a lot of power, but a lot of strikeouts. Yep. This year, he's sort of more a complete bat, better hitter, higher average all around. What are you seeing in him this year as compared to the guy who was uh, in Eugene last year? Uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, like, you know, this game will humble you a bit. And I think that for Jimmy, um, you know, he was a tremendous player at, at Dallas Baptist and um, had some success early. I think dealing with those challenges and and that adversity kind of changed his mindset a little bit. It, it looks to me like, you know, when I see Jimmy, he's preparing a lot better this year than he was last year. Um, and it looks like he's having fun again, right? And I think that comes with success. Um, but personally, I, I think it's, it's fun to watch him and, and these guys, you know, who have similar stories, like, take – you know, a down year from, you know, their standards or what baseball thinks is a down year um, and kind of turn it into, you know, a growing point in their development. So, and I think that, you know, you have those special players who never struggle and they make it to the big leagues at 21, 22, right? But there's a lot more stories of guys who struggle when they first get here and they get acclimated to being away from home or being in a new league or different challenges, and they're able to use that and grow and become better players. And I think that that is, that's a huge tool um, to gauge whether or not, you know, a guy is getting better or not is can he take the, the lack of success from the previous year and build upon it to be a better player or 
Um, do they kind of just sit and let it marinate, and then they're you know kind of stuck in that rut? So Jimmy's kind of he's taken on that role of he's he's preparing himself better. He's having more he's having a lot more fun, um, and he is he's just kind of riding that wave of being the same guy, but he he knows that you know what he has to work on and get better at, and he's been doing it every day. And then the last two guys I'll ask about, because I could just sit here and ask you about every single guy on the team. Okay. Um, but two guys who were at different times probably the best players uh, on your team last year, Lucy and, and Von Brown. Yep. Both of them are coming here, coming off fairly significant injury issues, probably mm-hmm. for the first time in their careers, which I think is, a, is an important moment in an athlete's career, right? Trying to come back and yep. get to know your body. Um, what are you seeing from them as they get back on the field and, you know, try to get back in the swing of things after, you know, surgery or, or some long time off. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I see for them is, you know, early on trying to, to challenge themselves without hurting themselves. Um, and I think both of them are at, you know, they're at a full 100% when it comes to um, what they were dealing with. But it doesn't mean they're at full speed of, of, you know, ready for this level and this type, right? And I think that takes some adjusting to. Um I think, uh, you know, Vaughn is one of the guys who, to me, stands out with his work ethic and, and Lucy, too. And they're both extremely coachable. Um, they are always uh, challenging themselves, and they both want to be the best. And I think that just watching them be able to handle that, um, the the adversity of, of something they can't control, right? Like... You know, there's certain things you can and can't control. You, you can't really control, like, freak injuries and stuff like that that happens. So um, to see Lucy come back, especially last year, you know, missing almost two months and come back and play at an extremely high level and then, you know, have limited at-bats in spring training and be able to come here and, and put together, a, you know, more times than not productive at-bats outside of what the stat line says and – you know, if you looked at it under a microscope, both of those guys have gotten better since they've been here. Um, and it's just, to be honest, like, they both work extremely hard and they both want to be the best. Um, and I think that uh, that's something you can't coach. That's something that is a tool um, when it comes to evaluating players that not a lot of other players have. So um, it's definitely been fun to watch those guys Um get better after after missing that time and and continue to uh develop on their road all right one more okay uh so tyler it's different for you because you had him two years ago yep. then he came here and his sort of humbling a little bit was was at this level although he still did a lot of things impressively yep. comes back and really really put in the work this winter and showed he had some things he wanted to improve this year it was really impressive what did you see in the growth from him in that sort of from two years ago to this year when Tyler showed up? Uh, Growth-wise, I mean, he was the same guy. Like, I, I didn't get a chance, an opportunity to coach him last year, um, but we were very close in, in 21. Um, he is a guy who um, is very, very serious about his craft and almost to the point where it, it's almost when he walks into the clubhouse or he steps foot um, in the cages, like, it, it's all business. Um He's very cerebral in what he wants to accomplish, and he knows exactly what he has to do to be a better baseball player, be a better hitter. 
and he just goes after it. And um, he, he's one of the most coachable kids that I've ever had an opportunity to work with. Um, he is always willing to listen and make changes that will help him get to where he needs to be in his development process. Um, and I, th I think that that speaks more to his character. He is a, an extremely high character kid, first class kid, and those are the type of kids that you love working with. So credit to him with you know the changes he made from being drafted to his first year in high A. He put on you know some muscle, which added some power. He had a really good year for us in 21. Last year the power numbers were were great, and then you know he had some swing and miss and. He did a really, really good job this year in the sample size we had here in Double A, of limiting that swing and miss and improving on some balls in play. And um, the power started to show up a little bit later before he got called up, but um, he had an idea of what he wanted to do and he wanted to put the ball in play more and stay a little flatter through the zone. And everything he did worked off of that. And you, you just add all the other intangibles, the, the IQ, the speed, everything. It, it makes for a really, really dangerous hitter in the box. So, but that's that's more of just who Tyler Fitzgerald is as a person, and and what he wants to do to strive to be a big leaguer. And I, I think that he's got a, a chance to play this game at a high, the highest level for a long time. And I think he knows that too, and and that's why he is where he is now, and having the success that he's having is because he knows what he wants, and he'll do anything that he can to. Um, be the best baseball player he can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I'll just end with this. Uh, obviously, you've already had some pretty great success this year. You've sent guys from here all the way to the majors in a couple mm -hmm. months, the door of the majors. Um, you have, when you have a lot of guys moving in and out, how long does it take kind of groups of guys to click together as they're going through the summer and do you do you kind of see that happening here with with the guys you have right now yeah and to be honest this is a, a testament to like what we're doing as an organization and the guys we have in, in our hitting and I'll just speak for the hitting department like the guys we have in the hitting department like I haven't had a you know a sense of guys who come in and don't fit in right like you know, whether they're coming from low A to high A last year or high A to double A this year or, you know, they're leaving me to go to, to Tiny in Sacramento. Like, we do a really good job of laying the foundation as a hitting department of the culture we're trying to create and the work ethic we're trying to create and the, and the type of hitters we're trying to create. And everybody's bought into that. So I think it makes it easier from that standpoint, like, when guys get moved up um, to, to be able to mesh. Like, we're all here – for a common goal like we're, we're here to develop you know winning baseball players and you know from the hitting side we're here to develop big leaguers and you know everybody's going to get their you know their work and their chance and you know this group here in Richmond you, with the subtraction of the guys that we've had moved up you know with Matos, Fitzy, Bailey like um, it, it hasn't wavered from like a preparation standpoint and it's it's Almost like we never even had those guys, right? Like you miss them at times when, um, you know, things aren't going your way on the field. But, but these guys here, like, they don't skip a beat from a work standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, and from a, com a competing standpoint. Like everybody's here um, with the same goal, and it, it really meshes well with what we're trying to do as an offense. 
Like, I really appreciate you taking a little time to talk to me about what's been a pretty fun fun season of Squirrels Baseball. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Yep. And that'll do it for episode number 135 of their Giants podcast. It has been a really fun week of Giants baseball, of Giants prospect development, uh, and I can't wait to see what next week brings. Um, I'll be back here hopefully next week to talk to you about it. So enjoy the ball, everybody, and thanks for listening.